if you're operating in a digital integrated world and you're sharing data, at some point, a threat actor is going to breach your systems. I mean, imagine if we could build ships that could withstand all the forces of nature in a storm. We wouldn't need lifeboats or other life safety capabilities. And of course, everybody in shipping knows that innately that that's an absurd premise. So the same holds true for cyber risk. So in my opinion, ship owners must recognize that, that cyber is a peril and it's not constrained, as you've heard me mention, to any single vessel, but it's, it's really something that can impact the organization overall. A shipping company must implement and sustain capabilities to ensure that it can withstand a cyber incident, whether it's an unauthorized breach or a ransomware event, for example. In short, they must develop capabilities to identify, detect, protect, respond, or recover from an incident. So how do you do this? Welcome to the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. In each episode, we'll look at real-time case studies, current events, and speak to the experts dealing with critical risks at sea. What really happens when a crisis strikes at sea? And what can you do to protect your ship? In this edition, we will look at cyber risk management, access to the right help at the right time. This episode is brought to you by myself, Captain Thomas Brown, who will be in conversation with Max Bobbies. Max leads Hudson Cyber, a division of Hudson Analytics. Hudson are a company Shoreline has a long relationship with, dating back to the early days of Open 90 and the requirement for QI and Osro services. In more recent times, Shoreline has welcomed Max's input when developing Shoreline's insurance risk transfer solutions, namely ICCI and MCI are two cyber insurance products. Max is hugely experienced in the sphere of cybersecurity, acting in an advisory capacity to many national and international agencies, whilst also authoring many publications on the subject. Hey, good morning, Max Bobbies, Hudson Analytics. It's great to speak with you this morning, Max. We, we go back about three years now when we both really started to look at the, the cyber risk issue in the, in the shipping environment, me at Shoreline, you at Hudson. It's good to get back together with you now and sort of pick your brains around what you've learned in those three years. I mean, given the asymmetry of the cyber risk landscape, I think it's now acknowledged that no one individual company can really manage its way around the issue of cyber risk without help. And we all know help can come in many guises. It can come in the guise of uh, independent analysis of a company's cyber risk. Uh, and the management measures required to manage that risk. It can come in terms of training modules, software packages to create barriers to entry, and pre and post ad incident advice and support. Finally, we can also look at the issue of financial risk transfer via suitable insurance covers. So my first question to you, Max, is where are Hudson at the moment positioned to support a ship owner's cyber defense team? It's Good to see you again. It's been a while. And, and yeah, certainly many things have happened in the industry worldwide in terms of cyber risk management. So, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to join you here today. So let me, let, me, let me first provide a little background context. So when we talk about cyber defense, the first thing that most people conjure is the notion of a technical solution to all things. And certainly while technology plays a role, it is often misunderstood. And um, you know, when we think about technology, we think, you, you know, think about your own desktop experience in your home office, antivirus software, and then perhaps in the office environment, you've got intrusion detection, 
intrusion protection systems, you've got endpoint monitoring, anomaly detection, encryption, et cetera, et cetera. And effectively, there's a plethora of technical solutions available on the global market. However, because the subject of cyber risk is so complex, there often exists what I would consider a disconnect between buyers and sellers. Buyers may not always fully understand what exactly to implement. And solution sellers, and when I'm, you know, when we're talking about solution sellers, we're talking about vendors mainly, are often selling, well, solutions, right? And then you have, you have this disconnect that inevitably occurs, or it, there's this life that's sort of this disconnectedness that occurs in conversations between stakeholders within an organization. And what I mean by that is you have, in many cases, managing directors or boards of directors, CEOs who are in their role, and, and they have a in shipping, of course, assumes a high risk tolerance. And so they bring to their these types of conversations that perspective. And then they're engaging with technical people, not necessarily technical in the sense of, you know, what I would consider perhaps just, you know, the operations of a vessel, but IT people, people who might be your, if they're, if they're large enough, they might have a chief information security officer, a CISO. And what'll happen is sometimes agendas might get in the way. These IT people or IT managers or CISOs may be talking to their, their higher-ups in a language that the CEOs and the managing directors are just not comfortable with. So inevitably what happens is they'll, they'll be deferential to certain recommendations. And many times those recommendations are technical in nature and, and perhaps less on the organizational side. So let me, let me come back to your question. So to, to, to answer it directly, Hudson is positioned to help ship owners in solving that challenge. And what I mean by that is we accomplish this by providing enterprise-level cyber risk management advisory, what I would call bespoke training. And, and when I talk about training, I'm not talking about technical training for information technology managers or CISOs. There are organizations out there that provide that and certifications around that. What I refer to as training, it's really training around all the other disciplines in a shipping company, everything from crew to officers, office staff, and executives. And those training solutions or those training modules or events that we design and deliver are usually a little different. So if you have a ship owner, for example, uh, a ship owner is often, you know, they might, their family might be in, might be, may have owned the business for multiple generations. So we're talking high net worth individuals and high net worth families. And so when we talk about training for them, we're talking about explaining how the asymmetry of cyber risk can translate or, or migrate from their personal lives into the business and vice versa. And then, and that sort of leads into what we offer in terms of tailored threat intelligence. So we don't often advertise that aggressively, but we do provide cyber threat intelligence support on more of a, a project basis based on specific requirements with a client. So I wanna point out and emphasize here that uh, what we're offering is trusted advisory. And what I mean by that is we work closely with executive teams, including, as I mentioned, the ship owners themselves to help them understand their organizational cybersecurity capabilities, identify capability gaps, get organized, and then develop and implement sustainable plans and strategies that involve the appropriate blend of resources and the application of those resources, those resources being what? People, their people, processes, controls, tools, and budgets. And so what happens is when you have, going back to the challenge of language, 
you have this disconnect that often tends to create vagaries in any conversation regarding the application of the, those resources. And so what we try to do is to help work through that. So often a lot of our initial support is geared towards getting the organizations organized and right-fitted so that they can ingest or adopt the appropriate technologies therein. So, and so what happens is when we work with insurers and underwriters, we help them sort of act as a translator. Sometimes when, when, when those interactions between the insured and the underwriter, the broker are making or trying to make certain determinations or understand the nature of the capabilities that that company has in place. Hopefully that answers your question. No, it, it, it absolutely, <laughs> it absolutely does. Thanks, thanks, Max. And I think I think one one thing you said there, which I, I really would quite like to focus on, is is you said getting organised. And mm -hmm. I think if we look at the title of this podcast, it's it's access to the right help at the right time. So it seems to me what you're saying is it starts with self-help in many ways. I mean, the individual company's ability to properly organize their defenses to ensure that they can ensure that they don't fall within the category of the lowest hanging fruit in terms of, you know, the, the easiest company to attack from the cyber criminals perspective. So in your mind, what does this defensive organization look like in practice? Yeah, so I'm going to go back to something I just mentioned. That's the challenge of something that, you know, often doesn't get lumped in with this or the subject of cybersecurity. And again, that's the challenge of language. And, and I cannot recall a single incidence with a client where we have not found ourselves working, where people are talking past one another. And usually that is observed or comes out in, on the first day. And, and, and this is a huge problem. And, and, and I don't want to paint the, the shipping industry as something that this is just a problem that's unique to them. This is something that permeates all industries. So when you ask, coming back to your question about cyber defense, so there are a lot of things that go into an organization's cyber defense. Effective defense requires a number of things that, to that end, a truly cyber defensive organization is first and foremost self-aware. And what do I mean by this? So the first thing is, again, I'm going to start at the top regarding the CEO or the managing director. They, they have to understand that the cyber risk conversation, the cybersecurity conversation is first and foremost a balance sheet discussion. It, it's not something that is strictly relegated to the responsibilities of the IT manager or the CISO. Because when we talk, like when you think, when you think about the roles inside an organization, you have the managing directors and then the C, you know, chief financial officer, chief, chief operating officer, but then you get into the operational aspects. You have the DPA, you have the fleet manager, you have information technology, risk, you know, there's a risk manager often. And, and, what, and then you have counsel. So when you look at like the DPA or the fleet, fleet operations or even the chief or the company security officer or IT manager, these are what I would consider to be the verticals within inside stovepipe sort of verticals within an organization. But then you have horizontal responsibilities. You have the risk manager and you have uh, in-house counsel or external counsel. And they're looking at managing risk to the organization overall, not really getting down into the, to the very specifics of, a, of, of an organization's day-to-day -day activities, like whether a network is properly configured on a vessel or in the office, or whether a training module is in place. Those are certainly important, but, but recognizing that cyber risk is a balance sheet discussion. So it has to be elevated 
to the right authority. And the right authority is in that C-suite. So oftentimes, our most successful engagements are with clients that are organized where the responsibility for overarching cybersecurity is actually above the IT manager. Now, with organizations that have a CISO, that makes the conversation easy because they have that dotted line to the board or, and they report directly to the CEO. But in most cases, organizations don't have a CISO. And so we may report to the council, we may report to uh, the risk manager, and they're able to cut through some of the internal, perhaps internal politics that may get in the way where you're starting to get into budget fights between security and IT, training and operations and so on and so forth. So when we go back to the issue of self-aware, right? So the first thing is recognition that it's a balance sheet discussion. Then it's about getting organized to manage that cyber risk. Oftentimes, how we accomplish that is usually, and, and I don't mean to sound salesy, it's not, it's not my intent here, but usually we'll, we'll do like a workshop, right? And so we'll get a number of the key stakeholders within the shipping company around the same table and conference room at headquarters, so to speak. We'll get the DPA there, head of crewing, company security officer, finance, risk management, so on and so forth get them around the table and work through all the different things in the organization that can impact their their day-to-day activities. And usually what inevitably happens out of that process, a renewed sort of recognition that, well, okay, then, you know, cybersecurity is not just, you know, Joe's responsibility who's in charge of IT, but it's also mine and my responsibilities, maybe training or onboarding, you know, crew, you know, crew onboarding. So, so working through that, 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 that those internal cultural perceptions, the, the, the cultural mores within an organization is first a challenge, but you have to kind of break down some of those barriers in order to organize for risk. And then what will inevitably happen is we recommend to clients to put together a little working group. And now you have an instrument or a mechanism inside the company where you get people at the management level who are now collaborating and working on the cybersecurity challenges to the organization. And they're doing it in a consensus-driven manner where perhaps that working group reports to the C-suite or the CISO or the CEO or even the board. And now they're organized to manage cyber risk. So it really also, to that point, involves a lot of collaboration. Now, it also, to be effective, you have to have duties, the appropriate duties and responsibilities allocated to certain individuals in the organization. One of the worst things a company can do is not provide adequate or or clear guidance on who's responsible for cybersecurity and providing that individual the right duties and authorities to take action in order to make sure the program or cybersecurity program is actually in place and it's sustained and people are doing their jobs and there's accountability up and down the organization. So duties and authorities are also important. The other thing is understanding what you have, right? A lot of organizations just, you know, sometimes, you know, we all, a lot of these, they grow organically and sometimes they grow through mergers and acquisitions. So understanding what assets, what is your asset base, what systems you have, just getting control of what those systems and assets are and recognizing what the critical systems and assets are is also a good starting point. You're going to hear a theme here that's going to come out in our conversation, and that's of training. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of training, training your staff, not just not just your staff in the office, but your crew, making sure that your crew is aware of what cyber risk is, 
and how it can impact their day-to-day -day activities on board a vessel. Now, oftentimes a lot of crew don't have access to e you know, company email, but they may have access to mobile devices and, and their own personal email through the guest networks or the crew networks on board the vessels. There's still potential risks there. So they may be interacting with others on board a vessel where they might see something. So one of the things, again, about getting organized, use the controls and the procedures you have in place. You have some things. Let me, let me take a step and wax a little philosophical here. Shipping companies are very good at managing risk, and, they, and, and they've developed very good procedures controls over time. One of the things that we always recommend is utilizing the near-miss reporting mechanism for cyber. It's something that's ingrained in the culture. It's something that can be easily co-opted and adapted to manage the cyber risk, to drive more greater cyber risk awareness on board the vessels, and to identify potential areas that can, you know, where corrective actions can be implemented to, again, what? Make sure the organization's resilient and can be, can recover from an incident uh, fairly quickly. So the other thing is recognizing as part of that training that, that cyber risk doesn't stop at the waterline. It's not something you can constrain to any single vessel. It's not something you can constrain just to the office. You know, shipping companies are global organizations. The vessels are complex operating systems and oftentimes networks touch one another or phone home to manufacturers or phone home to mommy. And sometimes they're not even aware, uh, certain stakeholders are not even aware of that. So you have to take a holistic approach to managing risk within the organization. So getting trained, getting people trained, your crew and your officers. So you're same with your officers, same with your, your office staff, understanding that Risks that may originate in the office can actually migrate to the vessels and, and so on and, and, and back. So, so these are key things that have to occur such that when the time comes for an investment in a technology, the organization's properly organized and structured. It has the structures and controls in place so that the technology can, is, is right fitted for adaptation and utilization inside the company, and it can be appropriately sustained over time. Hey, that was a fantastic response, Max. And, you know, I, what I really like about the response is, is we, we really haven't touched upon any technical buzzwords yet. So I think right. what's really reassuring <laughs> for me here is we're, we're talking about the human factors, really. It's about, you know, yes. about the human factors and management within a company, really understanding what is a, a sort of ephemeral, intangible risk. And, you know, in many respects, what I really sort of uh, cling to in, in what you're saying from a, the seafarer's perspective, being one myself, is is the fact that we understand the perils of the sea. We understand, you know, what the rigors are and what's going to impact the safety of our vessel. But actually, you know, we step outside of our comfort zone when we start to think about this ephemeral cyber risk because we have no concept of what that looks like. We have no real concept of, of how we manage that risk. And, and as you're saying, if you, you know, if you, if you then sort of focus in on the near misreporting, I think that's a really good idea because that shines a light on, on where this risk is coming from and what the possible weaknesses are within our defences. And I think the idea that we speak a common language around this is really important because generationally, a lot of the, of the grey hair in the C-suite, you know, this, this area of, of, of technology is something that really doesn't hold a great deal of interest. So it's functional for them. You know, they need it to run their businesses, but it's not really... What they get up and live for every morning right you know they get up and live for running their shipping shipping company safely and profitably and you know safely from an environment perspective but they're not really focused on 
on the bad actors that are, are sort of in the ether who are trying to disrupt that um, honest sort of ship owning activity. And I think, I think what you're saying here is very important from an organizational perspective. It's not, it's not delegated to somebody lower down and get it off the, off the table. It's like delegated to somebody who can corral the right resources and speak the right language and then communicate that to the C-suite and say, hey guys, you know, these are the issues we need to focus on. And this is the solutions that we need to adopt to, to ensure we are best protected against these risks. And I think really that comes on to my next question really is, is having gone beyond that organizational aspect of what we're looking at, what are the next sort of functional steps to make sure the bad, bad actors don't get into your organization? As you've heard me allude, Tom, that, that's a question that probably can take up multiple hours of, of or multiple po podcasts. I do want, before I come to that question, I do want to just make a point about something. You know, it's, it, it is interesting in the, in the shipping industry. The it, executives in the C-suite, you know, when we talk about security risks to the organization, when the I, ISPS code went into effect, it was very, tan it's all tangible, right? We're talking about physical risks. When you have a gangway and you see somebody walking towards the gangway, you can actually see them. You know, there is a perimeter, a physical perimeter around the vessel. You know, being aware of what's going on in the physical domain is intuitive. We all get it, right? If there's a gate and the gate's open, well, it's open. You know, there's, it's binary in many respects. The challenge with cyber risk is that it challenges the C-suite executives and ship owners, well, all of us, it, it challenges our concepts of space, time, and, and context. So we don't really, we can't really see it. It's not something that's intuitive to most of us. We can't really see a cyber threat, you know, coming at us directly. We don't know when it happens. We don't know how it happens oftentimes. And when we do realize something's happened, it's usually too late because it happens in, you know, at light speed, right? It's, it's happening on the networks and in, in the realms of ones and zeros. And, and it's also context, right? Well, how, how, do, you, how do you explain to a, a ship owner who might be in his or her, you know, 60s, and maybe they've got children, even grandchildren, and most of those individuals are connected to digital mobile devices, laptops, tablets, smartphones, and they're traveling, right? So these individuals are moving around. And, you know, if I'm a threat actor, I'm not going to target perhaps the office system. I'm going to target the family. And we actually, just, just a quick aside before I come back to your question, we actually had, we were doing a, some work in Latin America. And this is a number of years ago. And we actually stumbled across some threat information for a key client of ours. And when we had, a, had an internal debate do we show it to them? Do we not show it to them? You know, what do we do? And it just so that a colleague of mine was, was traveling overseas and, and they were going to be in that organization's office, but for another reason. And so we decided, okay, you know, we'll do, we'll just, we'll just give it to them. You know, it's the right thing to do. And so my colleague sat with that individual and the individual said, I think I'm just, I think you're just trying to scare me into buying a service. And I, I think with, it, you know, the threat intelligence and the cultural, the culture that exists that is very acceptable or it's, it's, it has a high risk tolerance, it creates challenges, right? And one of the things that, so I, we, when we started Hudson Cyber, it was about seven, a little over seven years ago. And 
at the time, threat cyber threat intelligence, you, you couldn't even have a conversation if the discussion was, you know, for anything, you know, if it was over 100, if it was less than 150,000 US per year, it, it didn't make sense. So the threat intelligence challenge has been one that's been, I think, misunderstood. I think the larger organizations with lots of resources, I don't want to name names, but some of the big, you know, the largest balance sheet companies in the maritime domain use it, or some of them do, but a vast majority of them don't. And part of the challenge with cyber threat intel has been cost, right? It's usually been a big balance sheet conversation. The costs for that have actually come down significantly, and there's been a lot of uh, change in that market. But one of the things that you know I would encourage ship owners to do is start considering a look, whether it's us or others, there's other vendors out there that provide threat intelligence services, but to, to seriously consider it. And, and if not directly, there are organizations out there that, that do collect and disseminate in, in a, a de-attributed fashion a threat intelligence that could be used to help them uh, manage risks to their organizations. So there are information sharing and analysis centers out there. And, and so there's some good options on the market I would strongly consider end users to look at. So let's go back to your question about defenses. So, all right, so let's assume the organization has assessed its risk. It's identified its vulnerabilities, its organizational vulnerabilities. Let's assume it's trained its people, its crews, its office staff, it's granted appropriate authorities, deployed the appropriate blend of technical solutions, and so on and so forth. At some point in this process, leadership must understand and accept the prospect that at some point, a cyber threat actor is going to get into their, into their systems, and they will breach their defenses. It's imagine, imagine, I'm going to use the analogy of driving a car. For all of, a, for all of you, all your listeners, everybody who drives a car, we all know that at some point, there's a high probability that if you drive it long enough, you get a flat tire, or maybe the, the engine conks out. Same thing, right? You know, if you're if you're operating in a digital integrated world and you're sharing data, at some point a threat actor is going to breach your systems. I mean, imagine if we could build ships that could withstand all the forces of nature in a storm. We wouldn't need lifeboats or other life safety capabilities. And of course, everybody in shipping knows that. In, innately that that's an absurd premise. So the same holds true for cyber risk. So in my opinion, ship owners must recognize that, that cyber is a peril and it's not constrained, as you've heard me mention, to any single vessel, but it's, it's really something that can impact the organization overall. A shipping company must implement and sustain capabilities to ensure that it can withstand a cyber incident, whether it's an unauthorized breach or a ransomware event, for example. In short, they must develop capabilities to identify, detect, protect, respond, and recover from an incident. So how do you do this? First, there's no such thing as a single silver bullet solution that will solve all your problems. And I would say, and I say this to all our clients, is that any vendor promising that their solution will solve all their cybersecurity problems, they should actually be shown the door. So what does that mean? So where do we start? So People have to be repeatedly trained, and I did warn you that that's going to be a theme that's going to come up you know, throughout the course of today's conversation. And drills and exercises can be expanded to include cybersecurity elements. So again, using what you already have in place as a shipping company, the ISPS code does, you know, it, it provides a, a, a recipe for building on your training and driving a secure a cyber aware training force by 
testing and exercising those capabilities. And, and I would make sure that they do it in the office as well as in on board the vessels. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to create cyber events or, you know, every drill has to be a cyber drill, but I would encourage the, the IT people to collaborate with security, you know, the, the company or ship security officers and design drills and exercises that weave in cyber to, you know, affect how the, you know, the normal security, uh, security um, systems are being tested and capabilities are being tested in general. So there's a mechanism right away, like the near-miss reporting mechanism that can be utilized. The other thing is the management of change discipline, which shipping companies do really well, and they should, they should apply that for cyber. The ISM has been expanded to include that. So cyber risk is now as part of the safety management system. So management of change, you know, facilitates those changes within the SMS. So for example, passwords should be changed. User accounts should be user specific, not role-based. You know, one of the things you really want to avoid is you don't want to, you don't want to tape a password or username on a computer workstation and where it's a shared account. So as much as you can, you know, make those accounts role-based, not, uh, sorry, individual user-based, not role, not just role-based. We talked about, I think I mentioned network segmentation. So networks should definitely be segmented. Logs should be monitored. For example, what do I mean by that? All inbound traffic should be logged and all email communication should be aggressively scanned for malware, phishing, and spoofing content. So, you know, when we talk about monitoring, right, if you have the ability Look for anomalous behavior. Usually some of the indicators of compromise appear in logs before an event will actually manifest. So you'll see some irregularities that may come about. And if you have a third-party vendor that, you, that performs that for you as a managed service, talk to them about what that means. You know, engage with them in dialogue. What does that mean? What does is, what is a normal operating posture look like? And then monitor against that. So again, it requires engagement and collaboration, not just simply deferring an activity to somebody and forgetting about it. The other thing is making sure you're patching and updating assets with the latest operating system and security updates. This is something I can't emphasize enough. It is a basic best practice. And so what will happen is this goes back to the budget conversation that I alluded to where language may sometimes get in the way in the C-suite when we're talking about budgeting. And so, you know, IT people or CISOs may be constrained from a budget perspective about updating, upgrading to the latest operating system or making the necessary budget allocations to ensure that upgrade to the next or the latest operating system. That is, that is something you definitely want to budget for and as much as possible you want to, you want to do. We, we've actually seen, not to go off on, on too much of a tangent, we've actually seen clients where they're running old versions of, of Windows operating systems that are no longer supported. I, I don't even want to mention the, the, the numbers of, of what we've seen. For organizations that have the, in, you know, the internal capabilities or even an external partner, perform vulnerability scanning. There are vulnerability management tools out there that can help technical staff to audit assets and infrastructure and detect common vulnerabilities and exposures, which are commonly referred to as CVEs. So, you know, perform that. In fact, we were just working with a client about two weeks ago where they do it. It's, it's a regular weekly discipline for them 
Now, many smaller shipping companies may not have that capability in-house. So I would strongly encourage you to look at potential options with vendors in the market. And there are a lot of good vendors in terms of managed security service providers or MSSPs that you can engage with at, you know, and, and, and right fit to your operating environment. So those are things you can look at. If they have the, if they have the, the resources, they can look at SIM applications. So SIM applications can be deployed on their network or in their operating in their operating environment. What do I mean by SIM is a security information and event management tool. There are different kinds of those SIMs. There's fairly robust, expensive versions, and there's cheaper versions that can be perhaps right fitted to smaller organizations' needs. And, uh, and these applications can ingest lots of different data sets and look for anomalous behavior based on the right criteria in terms of the configurations. You've heard me mention MSSPs just now. So if there's limited resources available to an organization internally, consider partnering with a security-focused MSSP. Help protect internet-facing services. That's something that can be done. And then finally, this is the biggie, right? This is the one that a lot of companies, that, you know, they get so focused on all the things I've talked about. And one of the most important elements of any cybersecurity program is backing up data. You know, often this is the fastest way to protect against ransomware attacks. And this also drives business continuity and, and supports incident response and continuity of operations, right? So data should be regularly backed up. It should, those backup systems should be regularly tested. Those backups should be performed either through a third party or it should be, if it's internal, it should be definitely somewhere remote and far enough away in a different operating environment from where the organization systems are. And then finally, again, you'll hear me say it over and over again, train, 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 train. And, you know, years ago before I joined Hudson, I was part of a consulting firm and we did a lot of advisory to private equity. And one of the things that we found from a return on investment discussion is that some of the highest ROI that is that benefits organizations in the cybersecurity realm is training their people. So this is, it's a fairly detailed list I gave out. It's not an end-all, it's not a fully comprehensive list, but you know, when we talk about a defensive organization, these are some of the key things that you know, we, we talk about. And you're not gonna hear me, you know, one of the things I'm very careful to do is I'm not, I'm gonna avoid any sort of recommendations to vendors or certain brands because Again, we, we want to maintain as Hudson a very unbiased approach to helping our clients you know, navigate these discussions and, and understanding which vendors to work with. And so a vendor for one organization may not be the best fit for another. And so it's all about, it's all about right fitting it to that organization. Anyway, like I said, that, that is a question, Tom, that we can probably spend the entire podcast on and then some. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I think that was, a, that was a very full response to, to the question I posed there, Max. And I think, you know, what's very sobering in a way is, is the way that you articulate the need for good organization, good communication, shining a spotlight on what the real issues are for an organization. And I, and I you know, I think a lot of that's got to do with how we manage the narrative around cyber, because, you know, I, I do think that, you know, in the last three years that both you and I have been focused on assisting ship owners to manage this risk there has been a sort of skew in the in the narrative at first it was very sort of 
you know, focused towards the Star Wars thing where you're going to have ships colliding and, you know, pumping oil over the side of ships and, you know, holding, holding ship owners around. So that's not the reality. The reality is that it's, it's, about, it's about making money for these guys, right? It's whether they're... Absolutely. You know, whether they're failed states or they're just, the, you know, criminal organisations or, you know, at the end of the day, they see ship owner organisations as being cash rich and an opportunity with perhaps penetrable defences that they can get within and, and then they, they can exploit that opportunity to put money from their account into their account. So, you know, really it's, I think what you're saying is very sobering. It's, it's, it's about, you know, having the right team in place, having the, taking the right steps, putting the right defences, being prepared for that challenge, really, to, to keep these, these threat actors out of your organisation and to allow you to run your business in the way that you should, which is sort of on a legal footing. And, you know, it's, it's about doing the right things at the right time. But having said all that, you know, fundamentally, you know, you, we can't be all things to all men. I mean, there is still a chance that these guys are going to get in. And, and I guess from our perspective, you know, being the provider of a, a risk transfer solution, it's about what risks the ship owner should then really focus upon transferring out the organization that they can't 100% manage uh, themselves. I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on where the, the real sort of issue is around that, Max, in terms of that, that risk transfer? What, what should the ship owner be, be looking at in terms of transferring out of their company? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big question. And before I answer it, I want to say one thing about the the, the nature of the threat environment, right? And, uh, you know, in the beginning, when I say in the beginning for me in, in the shipping beginning for cyber was a little over seven years ago. In the beginning, there was a lot of talk and there still is about, you know, the, the issues of cyber threats to vessels and what that might result in, in terms of a kinetic outcome, you know, whether it's a collision or, or, or something, you know, something really bad happening. And certainly, you know, are there possibilities therein? Sure. But I liken the, I'm going to use the analogy of trucking and organized crime. So I'm going to, and, and take a step back in terms of human nature. If, if, if I, and then this is, I pose this all the time in, in training sessions. If, if you had the ability to hack into any organization, do anything, what would you do with, what would you do with that power? And almost in every instance, the response is, I would monetize it. And so think of trucking. So, you know, it, I live in Washington, D.C., outside of Washington, D.C., and we're part of the NAFTA environment. So you have a lot of trucks that go in, over the border between Mexico and the United States and Canada. And, of course, you have, you know, drug uh, smuggling with the cartels, and it's, it's a big problem, right? So... If you're going to, if, and, 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 and this is a problem globally, so I'm just using that as an example. So if you have access to systems, if you can, if you can manipulate data and gain visibility into data, you're really talking about being able to monetize that access for your own benefit. And, and this happens all the time in, with organized crime. And in trucking, so if, you're, if you have access to trucking data, and trucks are, in many respects, very similar to ships, right? They move, they're expensive assets, they're increasingly connected, and they're just, they're just oozing, you know, they're just, it's just a hose of data all day long. Would you run the truck off the road if you had that access? And the answer is no. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want to disrupt your means of transportation because that's your conveyance 
to realizing a gain, a monetary gain. And so we're seeing most we're seeing that a lot in in the shipping the shipping industry. So, but nevertheless, you do get bad events that do occur. And of course, the big one, there are two that you know jumped to my mind, and one was NotPetya in 2017. And of course, you know, Mayor, everybody knows what happened with Mayor. Mayor is just sort of a metaphor for the industry overall. They weren't the only shipping company or, or port operator that was disrupted. But the key, the key term there is disruption. In fact, there's just uh, there's just a report out regarding some facilities in in the EU that were disrupted in terms of gas facilities and, and force majeure was declared by some of the particip- you know, stakeholders. Max, well, can that, I just jump in? Yeah, there because, absolutely. Because I think that's that's pertinent to the here and now, really, because absolutely, you know, because, you know, Russia are, and, and the Ukraine issue is becoming, you know, coming to the fore in terms of global security and, you know, it's many wide, you know, wide reaching issue political uh, geopolitical issues around that i mean and not petty as i remember rightly um, I hopefully remember rightly i think was born out of um, a russian attack on the ukrainian state that then you know yes that's exactly a lot a lot of commercial companies who had business interests in the ukraine i mean should should companies now be concerned about a similar issue i mean i i, I do think that that Russia has the ability to sort of immobilize Ukraine in a way if they deploy all of their, their cyber offensives to that nation state. And of course, that can have adverses, adverse consequences to those who have commercial ties to the Ukraine. I just want to jump in there because Absolutely. I think it's, it's for the here and now, really, just not, not, not to speak too long about it, but you know, are there any issues <laughs> that we should be, is there a spike in risk in that, in that sort of area? Oh, come on, Tom, you know I'm long-winded. <laughs> the answer is yes. I mean, absolutely. In terms of, I would, I would certainly, in fact, one of the things that I would definitely encourage ship owners to, to look at when they look at cyber risk is understand the role of their organization in the global economy, right? You know, if they're just moving, if they have, say, two vessels and they're just moving, you know, a bulk commodity on, on, a, on a round trip in, in a region of the world that is not very risky. That's one thing, but that's usually not the case. And, and so, when you look at what's going on with, with with what's happening in terms of rising tensions in Eastern Europe, you definitely want to look at nation state actors in terms of how their actions could, if they target certain partners or customers that you're supporting, could cascade to impact you. And 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 that kind of yeah, then then we can kind of go into the realm of in terms of you know ransomware attacks and some of those more complex ransomware attacks that are that are actually occurring out there. But yes, so two things I would just want to come back to. Number one, your question directly, business interruption, continuity of operations. Absolutely. You know, when when you know one of the things that we've noticed in the nation state threat environment is that many nation states are not seeking to immediately gain access to disrupt, disrupt operations. They want to gain access to maintain anonymous persistence. So they want to maintain their, their presence on your networks, and they may not do anything until something happens. So when you look at the disrupt, like when I read about the disruptions with these, the, the, the oil and gas facilities in the EU, Nation state attacks attacks out of Russia is, is the first thing that comes to my mind in terms of ways to disrupt what? The gas markets, 
because what? That helps create leverage from a political perspective. And we get into a whole nother series of discussion points around that. And I'm not a, even though I live outside of Washington, DC, I'm not a politician. <laughs> so I don't want to go down that route. But the other thing is liability. You know, first and you know, first first party liability, third party liability. If you, you know, same holds true. If you're a bad actor, you have a certain skill set and you don't work for a nation state, but you work for organized crime or some other organization that's trying to facilitate illicit movement of goods, goods being people, weapons, drugs, you know, human trafficking, weapons, drugs, and so on and so forth. Then if something happens, that could potentially provide exposure in terms of liability exposure to the organization. And what all this really means is, you know, if you're, if you pull the thread on the, the business operations and the continuity of operations discussion, it's about, inci- it's being able to respond to an incident, quickly recover from that incident and return to normal operations. Though that, that I think really kind of gets to the heart of where, where I think you're, where I think you're headed with the, with your questioning. So business, you know, that continuity of having those processes in place, being organized to access backed up systems and backed up data, and then implement the the activities required to return to normal operations as quickly and as rapidly as possible with minimum disruption to third parties is is key going forward. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think I think the real issue here is is the maintenance of business continuity, as you say, is, is avoiding yeah. business, the expense of business disruption. I, I think that's that is the key focus of of, of the decision makers within these ship owner organisations. That is the risk that they need to transfer out of their their companies. It's not the it's not the wider sort of Star Wars disaster scenarios right and, and i think really you know while i have you here and the fact that you you have alluded to the fact that you're in washington dc i mean you know both of our companies have, have have a track record of of working with the u.s administration from an oil spill perspective obviously we are oil spill guarantors and and you guys have a, a pedigree in the in the qi the incident response and the the qualified individual ashore looking after ship owners interests when things go wrong at sea and and the black stuff gets out of the hole and messes at the coastline. So we've both had conversations independently, really, with the US Coast Guard. And and this issue of cyber risk seems to be high on their agenda. I know that they've brought some, they've tightened up measures around port state control with respect to cyber risk management, certainly from the perspective of ships bringing cyber risk to the shores of the US. And it seems like a bit of a stretch, but I mean, are there any sort of analogies that we know from from our day job, as it were, in terms of the the oil spill protection that we could um, adopt in terms of cyber risk protection? I mean, is that a sort of what what are the sort of disaster scenarios that the Coast Guard are role playing and how are they trying to sort of mitigate the risk to the US, I, I guess, from ships trading frequently to them that could bring cyber risk to their shores i mean is, is this is this a is this a topic of conversation within the administration within the coast guard do you have any sort of thoughts on that so i, I do some of them will be probably speculative and i'll probably not go into i'll try to keep temper my my speculation but no these are excellent questions tom and uh, certainly the coast guard is looking at at those at those challenges and but just understand that my as a commercial operator, my my insights are, are just slightly limited. So I can't I can't speak, of course, for the Coast Guard, but they are 
you know, going back to the theme of organization, getting organized, right? So the Coast Guard has been, when you look at it from the commercial perspective, they've been getting organized for the cyber challenge. I think Solar Winds, the Solar Winds hack that the, the, the Russians perpetrated last year and, and gained extraordinary access, not just to US government agencies, but a universe of companies and other government agencies worldwide, that's something that's going to be uh, with us for quite a while, in, in, in my opinion. But it's a little bit of a mixed bag. So, so the first thing I'm going to come back to is part of the challenge in the market is there's not enough cybersecurity experts in the global market. There's something like over 3 million or there, you know, somewhere in that range, there, there, there are several million vacancies in the global market for cybersecurity experts. So you, you have this challenge in terms of supply and demand. There's, there's this demand on the Coast Guard side for certain cybersecurity experts that are looking to hire in terms of liaisons in the ports. But there's a, you know, there, there, there's a limit in terms of how many people are out there they're able to draw on because you have the, you know, the financial services sector, the defense industrial base. These are industries that tend to suck up the, you know, the best and the brightest and, and they pay a lot of money for these types of roles. They are certainly looking at, at disasters and I'm, I'm going to use, I'm going to put quotes around that. So for example, one of the sister agencies to Coast Guard is the Transportation Security Administration on uh, the Colonial Pipeline hack from last year, which, which resulted in major disruptions on the East Coast regarding oil uh, and gasoline supplies. They're looking at, at regulations. Coast Guard just went into effect, or just implemented in October of last year, cyber annex requirements for regulated facilities in the United States. So when you look at some of these data points, right, you're looking at, you're looking at cyber cyber risks that have to be addressed in facility security plans as cyber annex for facilities. That's, an indi- that's, a, that's a data point. And when you look at the hiring of liaison officers in the ports, they're going through that right now. That's a data point. They're also training their shipboard inspectors to look for cyber, cyber risks, bad hygiene, onboard vessels during inspections. And those inspectors are empowered to issue discrepancies based on inconsistent behavior when something is not performed as called out in their safety management system. So they're looking, they're, they're already looking at that. Right now, the Coast Guard is looking at cybersecurity through the eyes of, could it trigger a transportation security incident, uh, a TSI, right? Could it result in a, you know, if X cyber event occurs, how would it impact a vessel while it's at anchorage or while it's perhaps, you know, navigating a ship channel? or I'll even at birth, could an event result in a collision or a grounding? Would that result in an oil spill, for example? Could successful attacks on data integrity, think a terminal operating system in ports, which would result on the, perhaps on the, on the port side, could that result in improper cargo loading and stowage, which could affect, affect seaworthiness on board a vessel prior to its departure? Certainly, these are possibilities that play out. Data integrity, again, is, is a big one. They're, they're, they are already seeing incidents where, you know, a vessel comes in, berths, connects through Wi-Fi, and there are compromises on the shoreside facilities through Wi-Fi connectivity, email, and spear phishing. In the early days, when just, just as a quick aside, in the early days when we stood up our, our practice seven years ago, 
we on the threat intel side, we were we were working with a partner looking at a campaign out of Nigeria that actually targeted the maritime domain. And there was they were they were they got in through key logging malware as attachments to spear phishing to ships masters and so on and so forth. That campaign spread out over the years and it went on and on and on. And it ultimately impacted probably 50% of the IMO nations. And it propagated out from the vessels to affect shoreside facilities. There, from there, it went to manufacturing, retail. It just it, it impacted the entire supply chain. But in terms of legislation, you know, legislation takes time. And you know, certainly you have the open 90 requirements in the United States that, that went into effect after the Exxon Valdez. There's been talk about looking at open 90 as a framework for addressing the cyber risk. I, again, I can't speak for the Coast Guard, but if I'm to read the tea leaves correctly, I, I think they're watching and seeing what's going on in the in the private markets. It's sort of a chicken in the egg. You know, can the industry do this, or are we going to come if we do something legislatively? Is that going to come down too hard? And then there's the whole question about expenditures, because it is you know. Compliance with the uh, MTSA, which is the ISPS code in, in the U.S., and the Open 90 is 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 expensive. But I will say that there are there are ready solutions available in the market. This is something that's been near and dear to my heart in the context of Hudson Cyber since I joined the company. We stood up the practice. In fact, you know, if you go through some old archives, there are there's a few articles here and there that talk about envisioning a cyber open 90, so to speak. But And I, I will say we are working on something to that end that probably be released here in, in the very, very near future. And, and I don't want to go into too much detail on that just yet. But stay tuned. That's fine, Max. And, uh, you know, you know, I think that really sort of puts a full stop on on on, on where, where I wanted to get to with this conversation. It's been a fascinating conversation, by the way. Thank you for... Uh, for, for the way in which you've answered the questions. I think it's been illuminating in many respects and quite sobering in a way to hear it sort of in plain language and without the gobbledygook that, that surrounds a lot of this cyber risk management issue. You know, my takeaways are, you know, this risk is, is here, it's now, and it's here to stay, right? So, I mean, it's going to be a permanent agenda item on the risk and compliance committee meetings within ship owner organisations. It's a risk that's going to have to be managed because it's evolving all the time. And it, it can and it can have significant and devastating impacts on a company's balance sheet at the end of the day. So to take your eye off that ball would be well should be guarded against in many respects because it can it can bring your company to its knees in financially. It's not necessarily related to the kinetic risk that you talk about, the way in which you know ships might be used as weapons or you know run into one another or run ashore. And it's more about you know. At the end of the day, the focus of these bad actors, whether they're nation states, whether they're independent uh, hackers, is about getting your dollars out of your account and putting it into their account. And it's really, you know, how we avoid that happening and how we, A, organize ourselves in the first place, B, get the right support, get the right team around, get the right input, get the right training, and then finally see, okay, what we can't manage ourselves, we're going to transfer out of our organization to make sure that we're bulletproof and uh, that we can survive, you know, the very worst case scenarios that we can envisage. So, hey, Max, thanks very much for taking your time to speak to us today. It's always a pleasure. It's always very educational from my perspective when I talk to you. And, uh, you know, on behalf of Shoreline and, and everybody here, you know, keep up the good, good work you're doing. And 
you know, we'll, we'll hope to see you again soon. Tom, thank you very much. Uh, again, always a pleasure to support you and the team at Shoreline. And I look forward to our next conversation, hopefully sooner rather than later. We'd like to thank the show's sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. The world and life at sea is changing on a daily basis. Shipping companies and owners are facing evolving threats from political risk to increase maritime cyber risk. Shoreline has the maritime insurance answers you need to make sure your company is covered when crisis strikes. Shoreline are providers of specialist maritime cybercrime and crisis response insurance policies. To learn more about these specialist covers, visit www.shoreline.bm today.